So I was prepping for tonight's sermon uh, while in court. So uh, not for myself, but one of my friends is in a bit of a situation. And so I went to court in order to see him get arraigned to figure out all of what was going on. And I spent four hours. Uh, have anybody ever been to the Phoenix court system, Any downtown Phoenix? Um, you hang out down there. It's, it's a blast. Uh, it's not really. You hang out down there. And so I was down there for four hours waiting while, uh, for him to get to go his chance in front of the judge, which never actually came. Uh, he didn't get transported that day, so he wasn't even in the jailhouse or in the courtroom. So I got to hang out there all that time, and he never even showed up. Um, but while I was there, saw all sorts of things. Um, I, I saw somebody get broken up with. So a prisoner had come in, was in the box, what they call it, like the plexiglass place where they wait their turn to come into the courtroom. And uh, he got his moment in front of the judge. And then when he went back on the other side of the plastic, this woman stood up and goes, it's done. And he's like... And she's like, it's over, and then walks out. That was a rough day. Um, <laughs> and then saw other sorts of uh, incredible things. Um, but in watching through it, right, that day's a really hard day, too, because you just watch through uh, person after person who, you don't, I don't know anything about their situation. I don't know the reality of the charges. I don't know uh, what went into their lives until that moment. Uh, but while they came into the courtroom and they stood in front of the judge where they're waiting, some of them to get sentenced, some of them just to have their court case get pushed a little further along. When they uh, had their moment in front of the judge, though, there was a, a similar thing that happened to every single person uh, that came out wearing an orange jumpsuit out of the side box to go stand in front of the judge is uh, none of them that day, I've been in there when it's been different, but this day, none of them came in with swagger. Uh, none of them came with like chest puffed out, head held high, chains around their, you know, they, it wasn't like, hey, I'm somebody and I'm here and judge, this is all jacked up. You should, you should behave differently. Don't you know who I am? You should be here. That wasn't the posture of anybody. There was one person, uh, one man, that that was his posture, and he's the one who came in uh, in street clothes. So he had been posted bail, which is what happens. And so he had his lawyer, and he showed up, and he kind of he came sauntering in in front of the judge uh, and, and had a little bit of a swagger. And you could tell his public defender was like, this dude, like, this isn't me, this is him. Because like, every time the judge would say something, he'd go to interrupt, and the judge was not amused by that. But even with his swagger and even with his arrogance and even with his uh, take on life, which was that he did not deserve to be in this place, even though he had done what they had said he had done, but it really wasn't that bad. And he couldn't quite understand why the judge didn't understand that his perspective on the world was different than the legal system and why the world didn't just bend towards what he thought. Uh, but the ironic thing is that the end of it just like all the people who came in with humility, he still had to bend to what the judge said because the judge was the one up on the bench and he got to dictate that here's the conditions now of your sentencing. And so it didn't matter that he didn't like it. It didn't matter that he didn't agree with it. It didn't matter that he had a different perspective. In that position, the judge is the one who got to say. And so as people came and as people talked and as people walked into that space, the judge was the one in the room that everyone knew held the power and everyone else in that courtroom, audience, prisoners, accused, lawyers, bailiffs, stenographers included, all had to align their lives based on what he wanted and that was the arena that you were in. When you were in the courtroom, he was the one in charge. 
Today, we're doing one verse in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 1. And it's on the screen. You're welcome. One verse in Ephesians, but this is the hinge verse for the book. And so, would you allow me to go ahead and I'm gonna pray for us uh, and then we'll just walk through this in a few moments. Jesus, we gather together as your children, thankfully, uh, not those who have been accused, but those who do live in your world. And so as we, as human beings in your world, uh, would we have a heart and a mind to look and see that you indeed are king, that you love us, that you welcome us in, but you also have a design for how we are to live our lives in this world. And so God, as some of us come in with maybe hard hearts or confused hearts or bitter hearts, or contrite and broken and joyful hearts uh, that you would meet us in the space we're in and preach good news to the deepest parts of us. A good news that you are God, good news that you reign, good news that you have a way for us to live that will lead to flourishing. And so we ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. So Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, up till this point in the book, as we've gone verse by verse through Ephesians, every single time Paul speaks and he's welcomed in and talked to the people uh, of Ephesus, the small church. He had planted it. He had gone in with power and signs and wonders. Uh, the power of Jesus had engaged and overcome the power of darkness. Uh, witchcraft spells were broken. There were people that said, hey, this is a mighty God. This is stronger than any darkness. The magic that we worship, throwing all their stuff into the Remember, they had that whole scene where they threw their stuff, had the bonfire of all their stuff. It's probably millions of dollars worth of stuff. They just trashed it all because they said, Jesus is Lord and he is greater and he is stronger and the church was built up and Paul spent three years in Ephesus which is the longest he spent in any church as he was a pastor so when he went and planted churches it was usually shorter than this but he spent three years there and then he's given uh, the people in Ephesus, as he wrote this letter from jail, he decided he'd make the most of his time, uh, writes this letter from jail, sends it off, and they get this letter, it comes in, and they start reading through it. And as they read through for three chapters, it's like a waterfall of grace just falling over them. Like there is wave after wave cascading on them of good news. Uh, from chapter one and going on down. He talks about how they're blessed with every spiritual blessing, how they were chosen to be holy and blameless. They were adopted in Christ Jesus. There's redemption, forgiveness, grace, lavished on us, poured out. Uh, God had made his mystery known to the Ephesians. Something that wasn't even seen in previous generations had been revealed to them in a way that it exposed their idolatry, showed how strong Jesus was, and it opened their eyes. And he didn't even tell them to do anything. He just, remember that all happened. Uh, remember that you have a new identity. You're now in Christ. Remember that there's a new creation coming as an inheritance. Uh, remember that the Spirit has been given to you as a seal of that inheritance. So one day, all things will be made new. Right now, you're being made new. And it happens as the power, the spirit of the living God comes in and seals believers for that. 
He saved us. He strengthened in our inward being, raised us up with Christ, given the gift of salvation, reconciled us with him and with each other. So now there wasn't Jew and Gentile, but one new family of God. And then Paul prayed that beautiful prayer last week, just asking that somehow, some way, the people in Ephesus that gathered in this little small house church that had to stand up to the idols of their culture, that were standing against the political powers, that were against the many different ways of viewing the world, which would say, dismiss this Jewish God and follow your own way. As they stood there needing strength, he prays that they would be strengthened in their innermost being, rooted and established in love. And that they would have the power to understand how wide, how deep, how strong is the love of God. It's beyond comprehension, but I'm praying the Spirit gives it to you. And he's reconciling all things to himself. So that's been what's pouring out over the Ephesians as they read and heard this letter. Just good news after good news after good news. And then he hits this part where it's the first time he's going to tell them to do anything. Uh, people who commentate or who write about this say every single one of Paul's letters, this is the, the turn it takes where he goes, here's what's true to here's what you're supposed to do. If you're a grammar uh, person, nerd, whatever you call it, uh, it's going from the indicative to the imperative sense. He's taking it from here's all the things that God has done already, who he is, things that doesn't matter if you believe it or not. They don't change any of this. This is all done. It's fact. Three chapters of that to now. Chapter four, therefore, as a prisoner in Christ Jesus, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, one who is in Christ even though I'm in jail, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, this is a turn where now for the next three chapters, four, five, and six, he's going to show them what it looks like to live in response to all that good news. Uh, one way to look at it is how we take this turn will determine our shared life. From our disciple making and shalom or peace reweaving to living in our Trinity directed purpose as the church in this cultural moment. This turn as we come around it will depend if we as a community are faithful and fruitful or faithless and marginalized because we're not effective in what we're doing because we're not actually following Jesus. We just believe some stuff in our heads but it never sank down to our hearts and shaped the ways we actually live because Jesus wants both. He's given them the foundation of those three different chapters building up this beautiful portrait of what it looks like to be the new creation kingdom of God. And then he's turning this corner if you guys ever watch BMX races or mountain bike races, the downhill stuff, which is wild, uh, Rampage on Red Bull. If you have Red Bull channel, you should go and watch the new Rampage. It just came out, which is where they go down the mountain in Utah, right? Where it's like when they scale out the scope of it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. They're riding bikes down mountain cliffs. That's, it's incredible. They're like dropping and doing flips over like five-story gaps. It's unreal. It's amazing that more people don't die or anybody doesn't die because they don't usually they didn't this year again, um, good news, so you're not gonna watch anybody's death. Um, but it's unreal what they're doing. But normally in those things, what they have is different points in the downhill race where people know that there's a turn or a point where there is a lot of momentum coming down, 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 and then it makes a turn and then you finish out the race. 
But there, there's a last moment where when you're about to hit it, if you miss that, it's all downhill in all the wrong ways. Like if you miss that turn, you're going off the side of a cliff, which is what part of us who watch it are just waiting with bated breath, hoping that nobody does. When it comes to this text and Paul, if we miss this turn, then we miss who we're called to be as disciple makers and people who weave shalom into the world, uh, people who take seriously the invitations of Jesus and live life in a response to them. But it's tricky. Um, if anything, I would say, uh, do you guys remember when the Facebook status used to just say it's complicated? Uh, it wouldn't just say you're single, you'd be single, you'd be together, or it'd be complicated, and it was like, you know, I, I don't really know, like, what's going on, and so we have to have some kind of status, so let's throw that on there. They've done away with that, uh, but there was a season when that was there, and that was an option. Uh, it's complicated, uh, which usually meant that somebody had broken up, right? Let's go ahead and be honest, and both people didn't know they had broken up, and so it was just complicated. But uh, many of us have a complicated relationship when it comes to listening to the words of God. Uh, many of us have a relationship that say, hey, it's complicated. It's not just always I'm always there, always I'm not there, but it's a little complicated. Um, and here's just three different cultural currents that might lead into that. And you can see if any of these hit you at any point in your life. Uh, the first one is when we look at God's word or the address of God or when God tells us to do something, we listen in and hear it. Man, that's some archaic or ancient advice. Like that's old school. The Bible was written a really, really long time ago to people who looked nothing like me, dressed nothing like me, spoke nothing like me. It might be good for you, maybe some timeless truths in there. And I'll, I'll take what I want out of that and then I'll leave the rest. It's just some ancient advice. Or maybe we look at it and we say it's just some religious opinions. Uh, that is, the Bible is helpful for people who want to believe and live that way. But we don't really have to. Like when Jesus says something or when God says something, if you're religious, maybe you want to opt into maybe forming your life that way. But you don't have to actually, like God doesn't expect everybody everywhere to lean in and actually obey what he says. These are religious options for you where you may choose in or choose out and whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just, no, don't hurt other people. Live your own life. The problem is that the Bible never says that it's a religious option, right? We, we talk often that the Bible claims to be the true story of the world. And so if we're nodding our head along saying, yes and amen, reconciliation, yes and amen, adoption, yes and amen, forgiveness, yes and amen, redemption, yes and amen, we've been given a spirit, yes and amen, there's new creation coming, yes and amen, there is one people who are all God's family, amen, hallelujah. And then Jesus says, here's how I want you to act. And we're like, uh-uh. I wanted the other stuff. Don't, don't mess with my life. Paul, James, Peter, Jesus would say that's not one of the options. The reason he's shown that Jesus is the cosmic king, the supreme ruler, the one who is above all, is because he is, he is king, we bow our knees to him. Not come in with swagger saying, Jesus, I don't like the way you got this. I'm going to keep my own stuff and I'll do, a, you know, some of the stuff that you want me to do, but not all of it, but some of it maybe if I want to. The image of Jesus is so much different. And if we don't get this turn, 
then we miss out on the life that God's called us to live. And there is a weightiness to that. But there's also a lot of beauty and joy and fulfillment and flourishing. The way we view God, if he is the God who has given us everything that he said he has given us in the first three chapters, that when he says, now follow me and live this way, that's gonna be for our joy and our flourishing. It's a good father who gives good gifts. And that's what we're invited to walk in. And I get that it's complicated. I get that it's tough. I get that sometimes we're at that third category, which if I wrote it down and I did, is I don't want to. Right, right? There's just sometimes when we, we hear the voice of God, we know what he's called us into. It's not tricky whether it's to walk out of a pattern of life that we've been in that we know is against him, or it's to pick up a new pattern of life that would lead to more flourishing, but it would take some risk and some trusting that God is actually who he says he is, an invitation into that calling. And we say, hey, I clearly understand what you're saying. I just don't want to. The invitation of Jesus is still, follow me. Uh, Paul uses this word, it's beautiful. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Uh, and that calling is to be the new, uh, new creation humanity, right? God's new people, the church who live out their role in this story that Paul just told them in the first three chapters. And he uses this word urge though, which is different than command. He doesn't command them that they have to live this out. This word that he's using is an invitation, uh, which is the same word that Jesus would use in the gospels when he says that people were invited to a feast. Now the feast was delicious. The feast was amazing. The feast was bountiful. The feast was the kingdom of God, but people were invited in to receive it or reject it. Uh, humanity has a choice what we do with the words of God, which is different than any other part of creation. And for just a few minutes, I want us to look at how that plays out in the story of God, because this picture, this idea, this reality of the words of God and what we do them with them will absolutely shape the rest of the way we view this book and the rest of the way we view our lives. They will shape whether or not we submit to the ways of Jesus or like that one guy out of everybody in court walks up to the judge and says, I want you to submit to my way, which at the end of the day did not lead to his flourishing, we'll just say. For about 15 years, it did not lead to his flourishing. He gets to be a guest of the state of Arizona. But if you look at creation in the very beginning, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God spoke, right, his words ordered creation. Let there be light, let there be morning, let there be plants, let there be animals. And the non-human creation every single time in Genesis 1 and 2, this is just creation, Genesis 1 and 2 in your Bible. That's an R, go with me. Uh, creation. Genesis 1 and 2, every single time non-human creation does exactly what God says. God didn't say let there be fish and fish are like, nope, I want to be a frog. Right? God didn't say, let there be like, let there be plants and animals. And they're like, nope, want to be an ocean. Let there be light. Nope, want to stay dark. Let there be stars in the sky, right? There'll be lesser and greater light. Separate those out. Uh-uh, we like the darkness, God. Like, nowhere does that happen. Uh, nowhere do animals say, God, I know you told us to do these things, but we don't want to. 
non-human creation uh, responds both to what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. That's their role in the story. They respond to the word of God perfectly. Humans are created, and they're created with creativity and choice. Uh, They're the first actors in the story who have the ability, as we're reading in Genesis, to say, God, yes, we want to do, or no, we don't want to do what you told us to do. Uh, God, we clearly heard you. We know what you said, but we think we've got a better way. And Genesis 3 in our Bible tells that story, the rebellion marked out by an X in the story that human beings, Adam and Eve, chose to take from the fruit that God told them not to eat from. The serpent came in and said, hey, did God really say that you can't eat of this? And you're like, or you're surely dead. He's like, no, nah, yeah, he said we can't eat of it or even touch it, right? Twisting the word of God, saying something that God didn't say that he did say, and it, it gets all messy. At the end of the day, for our sake, they knew the word of God, they knew what he had said, but they opted to say, I think there's a better life outside of what he designed. I know he gave us the freedom and creativity to cultivate all the hidden potentials of his creation. Just don't eat of this one tree. And human beings chose to eat of that tree and immediately they felt the devastating effects of their sin, of their choice to rebel. And they're separated from God. There's a distance between them as humans. Creation doesn't work the way it did before. And even in themselves, they're filled with shame and hiding. The result of not listening to God's word is death, emotionally, relationally, even cosmically with God. And in creationally in order, no longer did earth work the way that it had before the rebellion. But God doesn't leave the world without hope, right? He comes and goes to a man named Abram. And again, Genesis 12, all the way through Malachi 4, tells the unfolding story of God's promises to people, his words to his people. And he says, when you follow, you will be blessed. And when you choose to rebel, you will live out of the curse and separation from me. But as you obey, as you follow, as you listen, as you walk in wisdom in the world, other nations will look in and say, man, how did they get so smart? Like, like how did they figure this out? How did they know this best possible way to live? And then you'll be able to answer them that God's the one who told you. And your story of your Old Testament, for really succinct purposes, tells that story of Israel as they listened or chose to rebel as they leaned into what God said, or as they chose to say, God, I know what you said, but we wanna do it a different way. And again, as they respond to the word of God, their lives lived out of the overflow of those decisions. Does that mean if we listen to God, it always was comfortable? Nope, where's Paul writing from? Prison, that ain't comfortable, right? Like, um, we even get to the next act of the story, which is Jesus. Um, And so we see Jesus, and we're gonna mark that out by a cross. That's his life, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, Would you turn to just two or three people around you and make this quick? How did Jesus respond to the word of God? So how did Jesus respond to the word of God? As God told him to do things, what did he do? Uh, He's the first human in the story who we looked and we're like, maybe he'll respond differently. Uh, Every other human to this point has always rebelled against God at some point, has listened to what he said and done whatever they want. When we get to Jesus, how does he respond? God speaks to Jesus. He tells him what to do. Somebody just want to shout out their answer. How did Jesus respond to the voice of God? What do you got, Owen? 
all the way right away with happiness? With a happy heart. You guys want to try to top that? <laughs> when we see in the Gospels, it's a beautiful portrait of Jesus uh, coming back to what it is to be fully human. Fully God, yes, but fully human. Always, always, right away, with a happy heart. Even if at times it was a heavy heart. Responding in obedience to the word of God. And as he does that, what's the result for his life? He's murdered on a cross, right? The Romans and the religious murder him on the cross, but in his death, he raises again, bringing life, which opens up flourishing for the entire created order. And we've talked at length about how Jesus' death uh, is what enabled him to reign supreme, right? His death and his resurrection. So in that, even in his dying, he brings life. But he perfectly did what the Father called him to do in every single instance, and then remember, it's that same spirit that he gives to us in the church. Uh, it is literally the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is what it said in Ephesians 1 that has been given to us as his followers. And so the, the church act of the story is the act where we are today, where uh, acts through all the epistles and leading up just even to Revelation, where it shows what it looks like for people to live in God's world according to God's way, to, to look at the rest of the story, not just as archaic advice or religious options or even just some Jesus talk for those people in the corner, but as public truth for the entire world, for anybody who wants to enter into the way God intended the world to work. Yes, there are things that we say no to and there's other things that we say yes to, but they're meant and designed to be ways that lead to flourishing. Somebody or something, like Matthew said, will determine what we view as the good life. And so it might be your political party. It might be your sports team. It might be your vocation. Or it might be Jesus. But something or someone is telling you what it looks like to live the best possible way. And as followers of Jesus, we're meant to have that be God himself showing us how to live, and at times that will absolutely grate against things we like. And there should be times when we look and say, I don't like that Jesus said that. If the Jesus you're following never says anything that you don't like, you're probably not following the Jesus of the Bible. If God who created everything and says, hey, like we've got some issues in us as humanity, and all of us have been stained by sin, and if... When he speaks, never anything inside of us goes, man, I really don't like that. But I'm going to conform to what he said, or I'm not going to. If like, it's always just like, no, God never says anything that gets on my nerves. I would just encourage you. Are you just reading the Bible through your lens? Are you reading it as it says? But there is beauty, there is hope, and there's always an invitation. There's an urging back to imperfect people to live out their calling. And then one day, and we do it imperfectly, let's be honest, right? Like we're in the room, you got me up front. I can say from up front, working its way back, we do it imperfectly, listening to the voice of God. But I can absolutely tell you in my 41 years of life, that's right, my birthday, today 41, in my 41 years of life, and all my gray hairs that have come along with that, that following Jesus absolutely leads to life. And in the moments when I've decided, God, I know better than you, that has never worked out for my benefit long-term. 
And as I'm watching friends uh, walk and stay faithful with Jesus or walk and drift away from Jesus or walk and start off strong in ministry and then be like, there's something else that matters more or watching other people who uh, started off their walk with Jesus as tripling and tripping and stumbling over themselves but then gaining momentum as life went on and they consistently said yes to Jesus and what he wanted, that over time, like those who started really slow are thriving right now as they continue to struggle forward. And some of those who started off with a Red Bull, like just ready to go and running, spiritually speaking, have maxed out because they never nourished that inner life and didn't keep saying yes to Jesus. It's absolutely true that following the ways of God leads to flourishing in the world that God created. And hear this fan with hope that one day there will be a restoration where Jesus will return to make all things new, where humanity, the picture in Revelation, is again able to perfectly dwell with God and God with people. That there is a day when non-created and created order alike in the restoration of all things, those who have bowed a knee to King Jesus perfectly live into his kingdom and enjoy a restored creation with him. And those who have said, I I can do it myself, I don't actually need you, Jesus, spend eternity separated from him. There is a judgment that comes based on what we did with the word of Jesus that invited us to walk into the ways of life. And so as a church, it really matters how we handle four verse one. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, to look at all the blessings that God has given you and say, I want to respond in accordance to that with the way I live. There's a beauty because all of it has already been given. You're not doing it to earn anything. But out of an overflow of what you have received, we ought to live in such a way that it leads to life. Uh, Basically speaking, this disciple-making community Jesus desires is one who obeys the words of God, and his story is increasingly the script by which they share life in their context. Uh, We have choices to make. We do. We have a response to make. We have the ability to say, God, I see what you're saying. God, I know what you say about my sexuality. God, I know what you say about my finances. God, I know what you say about loving the poor. God, I know what you say about different races. God, I know what you say about how I live my life and spend my money and my friendships and my dating relationships and my marriage. Like, I know what you say about all that. But one of the most beautiful and devastating parts of humanity is that we've been given both creativity and choice. And when that goes well, there is so much beauty. And when that goes poorly, there is so much brokenness. And my pleading with you alongside Paul is to say, Would we be a church who over the next weeks and years of our lives choose to listen to the words of God and live in line with that? Uh, Would we say, yes, it's worth living in the same way that God calls us to, even in the uncomfortable parts, even in the parts where it doesn't make sense, even in the parts where we desire to do something differently, but God has clearly spoken? And then would we be the kind of community that encourages one another towards that, not blame giving or shifting, but able to walk alongside one another as we imperfectly follow in the ways of Jesus. Uh, In the next three chapters, Paul is gonna have all sorts of things to say to us. 
and they will get on your nerves at some point, I promise you. But tonight, I just want to say, would you listen to the words of God and believe that they lead to flourishing? The next steps coming out of this are one, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray over you, not pray together because time, uh, and there's people with our kids that probably want to be released at some point. Um, But we're going to pray together. And then we're gonna come to the table. And so as we live and respond to the word of God, we come consistently back to what is the broken body of Christ together for our nourishment and grace to continue. And so after I pray over you, I'll I'll let you know the table's open and you can come if you're a follower of Jesus and take a cup of the juice that Kayleanne will have and I'll have the bread and we'll offer that as a reminder of the life-giving food and drink that is Christ. And so you don't have to have a certain amount of faith to come and receive that, but you do have to have Jesus as the object of your faith. And then we'll be sent out, and the hope is that we walk alongside one another, walk in a way together that leads towards life. Would you pray with me? Mm -hmm.